Hello, ArenaCraft mages. Welcome to part three of our exhaustive, in-depth, constructed review of Zendikar Rising. This is another bonus episode. Hope you enjoy it. Some of these uh, spell land flip cards don't seem very good, but I want to touch on. Uh, I want to touch on all of them because I think that we need to we need to discuss them. Belaged recovery might be insane. Yeah, that one might be good. I'm going to talk very quickly about Akum Warrior, five and a red. Creature Minotaur Warrior has Trample. It's a 4-5. So 6 mana 4-5 Trample, not good enough. On the back side, it is called Akum Teeth, and it is a red ETB tap land. Um, pretty sure this isn't going to see play in any constructed format. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah, because both sides are unplayable in any deck with any play. Okay. All right. Cool. So we'll move on from that one. Yeah, read, read Balaged Recovery for us, because this is interesting. Okay, this card is two and a green sorcery, regrowth. And if you don't know regrowth, it's a very old card. Uh, return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah, any any card in your graveyard, return it to your hand. I guess un- recovery would be an exact replication of the card without the land side, uh, which is, yeah. Anyway, the land is a green tap land. So you can play it as a green tap land, or you can pay three mana for any card in your graveyard. So again, you're not going to want to play this in an aggro deck, but you wouldn't play this effect in an aggro deck anyway. But I agree. I think this effect is powerful enough to make you consider running a green tap land in your deck. I think that this is playable in everything outside of mono green aggro that runs the color green. And the question I keep asking myself is... How many? Like, that's that's really the only question for me. I, I think I said that a lot of, like, ramp-style decks and things like that might only want one or two, but if you have a bunch of mana, there's not a lot of downside to playing tons of this card. As long as you expect the game to get to a place where you have a bunch of mana and a card of some value in your graveyard, this is worth a slot because there's not a lot of downside. It just almost isn't downside. Okay, one of the things I can think of is that neither side of this card plays well with Oro, so that's that's the thing to keep in mind. It doesn't, it doesn't. Um, I, I said the same thing, and it was like, okay, because Oro eats the graveyard, right? And it also okay. won't put this into play as a land off of the Oro trigger either. Yep. But then I thought about, wait a minute, if my deck plays Uro, then I probably have a lot of cards that go to the graveyard. And if I don't have the Uro or the opponent deals with the Uro, I might want to use those cards in a different yeah, way. that's fair. And as far as Uro putting them into play, it's going to be a feels bad when you top deck it and you wanted a land for the Uro, like off the Uro draw mm-hmm. trigger, you know what I mean? And you can't play it. But you also can just lead with this card for the turns leading up to it. Like you can prioritize holding real lands in your hand for your Uro. So that seems playable. Yeah. Like that, that seems like I can work with that. We're just, we're going to have to get very smart about our mulligans and our keeps. I think that these decks, like these four, five color flip land nonsense, all kinds of like, you're just going to have to be very, very clever about thinking about looking at your opening hand. How are you going to sequence it? What narratives can you come up with for how the cards that you're looking at are going to play well together? Because otherwise, Mm -hmm. you could end up with some very, very, very awkward opening sequences. So here's a thought I've had about this card. I'm curious what you think. There's a part of me that wonders if it's going to make cards that would normally have the dies to removal problem a lot better. Mm. Because Ashaya and Elder Gargaroth, for example. Yeah, Gargaroth. You put them out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you slam it, the opponent kills it. Normally, that's a big tempo loss and something to be avoided in decks that go long. Mm-hmm. But here you've just got up to four ways to just get it back and force them to do it again. And as far as I know, there isn't a card that's going to bounce their Heartless Act. But there is this free-ish card that bounces your Gargaroth back to your hand. So 
I mean, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, definitely worth considering. And I mean, the more expensive the card you get back, the more value you're getting out of it. So I think it, I think it does give you at least a little bit of an incentive to play more top end. And I mean, okay, let's talk about Sublime Epiphany, a card I just mentioned. Imagine getting a rebuy on your Sublime Epiphany. That's got to be game over, right? Yeah, that's it's pretty, pretty good. gross as well. And I did say, like, it is target card, so you could get back, like, a removal spell, something cheap to stay alive if you need to. Sure. Like, your, your Extinction Event deck could have eight Extinction Events. Is an aggro deck going to beat that? Yeah, that's pretty nasty. <laughs> That's really I nasty. Do, <laughs> I do like that it gives you what you need, right? So exactly, it gives you a rebuy in your event if you need that. Gives a rebuy on the discard spell if you need that. Gets your threat back if you need that. So again, like these cards are basically unplayable when they don't have a tap land stapled to them. But this is an example of where the land plays into the kind of strategy you want to use the spell for. And I think that that definitely makes it worth it. So I wouldn't make this an auto-include in my green decks. But it's definitely a card I would consider. I think it's an auto-occlude in everything that's not green aggro. I think that's fair. In in my opinion, I think this is an adventure card. Do you think it's a four-of? I think it might be. I think I think four-of might make your mana base too weak. Well, it wouldn't replace... So if I were putting it in adventures, it would, I'd probably have 26 lands that weren't this card. And then four of this. So like 30 total. Or it, we might see a lot more than that, too. Uh, as far as land counts go. That's one of my big questions, is how many lands do we replace by running these cards? I said on stream it will be right in a tournament in the next three months to have a deck with 35-plus mana-optional lands. And not an Eorian deck either. I mean, gosh, decks... Okay, so this is my overall prediction, is that by and large and standard, decks are going to get a lot more consistent and they're going to be a little slower. I feel like these cards are overall going to shave a turn off standard, which isn't a bad thing. You have to imagine that people are, people are basically going to end up time walking themselves at least once. By time walking, I just mean effectively missing a land drop in your average game because they're running these cards. But they didn't. That's the key, though. They didn't miss the land drop. They do have bigger and better options next turn, whereas if they had missed it, they'd have just done nothing. Correct. So that, that's my baseline prediction. A little bit slower, more consistent. Okay, this next card I'm also very excited about. Uh, very similar similar level of playability in my opinion. Kalni Ambush. Two and a green instant. Target creature you control uh, fights target creature you don't control. And the backside is a green tap land. So I, I think that this, like, I would definitely run some number of these in my, in my mono green aggro decks for sure. I would never touch this in those decks. That's interesting. Yeah, I'd like you never want the tap land, and you can't pay that much for the effect. You're too far behind. No, I, like, it's not an auto-include for me. I'm not sure that I would just, like, main deck it, but I I think that this card is extremely useful. So, in your more mid-rangey, green aggressive decks, flooding is a very, very, very real thing that you need to worry about. I agree that the tap land is not ideal, so it's definitely something that would make me consider not running... I, I wouldn't run four of these probably ever, but yeah, I think starting one or two of these in like my my standard mid-range e-green deck, that sounds really good to me, especially in certain matchups. I, I don't think you've played enough decks with counter spells in them to learn how hard it is to have three mana open. <laughs> Uh, there are just like there are plenty of times when you know I would hold I would hold two for the um, for the ram through and I agree this is worse than that. I, I'm not saying this card is as good as ram through, but I do think this card is worth considering. I'm definitely going to try it. Okay, I mean it's a removal spell, dude. It's a removal spell with a land on it. What more do you want? Where do you want like? So if your opponent has creatures, you don't want to be that much slower so tap lands can be a big problem and if your opponent has creatures do you want to spend that much of your turn not developing your board and you you have to have the bigger creature like think you have about to. this cgb we don't have pelt collector in this format so what are you doing on turn one anyway well you better have something better to do than we have or you're never going to play mono green <laughs> i i'm not sure that i agree with that i mean 
you yourself were making an argument for playing mono green, you know, in the in the standard 2021 format with, in my opinion, no playable one drops. I think this is a much more playable one drop in those decks than like Gilded Goose or any of the other nonsense people have been thinking about playing. Put me down as a buyer on this card. I, th- I think this card is gas. All right, you've got it. We, we shall see, we shall see. This next one, though, I have no idea. What do you think about Sejiri Shelter? I am one in a white instant target creature you control gains protection from a color of your choice until end of turn, or you get a tap land. I think this card probably sucks. Agreed. T- bit too situational, bit expensive for the effect, and another situation where a tap land isn't really what you want. I think that the white decks, like white aggressive decks, get hurt a lot more by having a, a spell land than I think the green aggressive decks do. So yeah, not, I'm not a buyer on this. Let's keep moving along. I haven't even read this card. Drana, the last blood chief. Ooh, you should. Okay, three black black. Legendary creature, vampire, cleric, at mythic. So note another cleric here. Whenever Drana, the last blood chief, attacks, defending player chooses a non-legendary creature card in your graveyard. You return that card to the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it. The creature is a vampire in addition to its other types. So that's admittedly a very powerful effect. However, I don't know, I think this is going to suffer from the Terror of the Peaks Gargaroth problem. Uh, More the Terror of the Peaks problem, I would say, which is just that I feel like nine times out of ten you're not going to get your money's worth out of this. Yeah, it is the dies to removal problem. Maybe that, but you know, we talked about the regrowth land, that maybe that's a good friend of this, but that definitely doesn't play into the cleric theme. Um, you can give it haste with Offspring's Revenge. <laughs> but I'm not crater. A, Got him. Like, Got yeah, him. you can be as creative. You can try to get creative with this card, but I think it's yeah. too creative. It's a trap, but yeah, it's, it's a cool trap. It's trappy. It's a it's a card I'll probably lose to a couple of times on ladder and feel angry about. <laughs> oh, in limited, you're gonna lose to it and feel angry. Oh about snap! It. I mean, this is about as balmy as cards get in limited. So. This is like a step below Dream Trawler power level in Limited, so yeah, I'm excited to be playing with that for sure. Do you think Grotag Bugcatcher is going to see play? One on a red, one, two, creature Goblin Warrior with Trample. Whenever it attacks, it gets plus one, plus oh until end of turn for each creature in your party. This one seems like mm, fringe, but maybe? I think the answer is no, going by our own party evaluation, which is that on its own, only when attacking you get a grizzly bear with trample that doesn't matter (laughs) like what are you trampling a no one plant token way to live your best life (laughs) are you are you stoked to three two trample you know i'm not even sure like that's okay like i think that would see some play in red but probably not over an option like a two two haste because it gets its money right away so no i'm i'm not sure i am yeah, fair. Kind of depends on what else is going on, but the red aggressive decks may turn to this if they need another two drop. Right, we've definitely reached the point of the show where it's Arjuna names draft cards. We get him tired enough, guys, and he just starts reading draft cards know, and I saying just, where they go in standard. Just I just start reading them off. Is it my turn to read them? All right, Swarm Shambler is one in a green for a Fungus Beast zero zero. Hype, right? dies on an ETB. gotta love it (laughs) no no it doesn't uh swarm shambler enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it now whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it becomes the target of a spell an opponent controls create a one one green insect token and for one mana and a tap put a plus one plus one counter on the swarm shambler is this the Pelt Collector meets Hangerback Walker meets Thorn Lieutenant that everyone's looking for. Dude, a Shia Enabler. Boom. I, okay, you can turn it into a forest. Go on. <laughs> no, man. You like make a bunch of insects, and then they turn into forests. Wait, how do you make the insects? Nah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> I guess you get one insect, right? Right. You get one insect no matter the size of the creature that's targeted as well. So Could I, have been I think maybe that, fun against Mayhem Devil. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd, what I don't know, like, why is it only one insect? You should get insects equal to the number of counters on it. Uh, like, that would be a sweet yeah, card. That would get busted pretty quickly, though. Would it? 
I, mean, I don't think so. I mean, you you would have to invest in it, and it is a dorky one one, so maybe not. Yeah, I think that the only thing that about this card that gives it potential is it's whenever a creature you control with a counter on it, not only swarms shambler. Yep. So yeah. your Yorvo will give you an insect when it gets targeted, things like that. Yeah, that's uh, a thing. Because if it weren't that. This card would be pretty bad because mm-hmm. you don't want to put the mana into this and build it up and then have the opponent kill it after you've invested like three turns and tapping it and you get a one get one. A one one. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So I think you're right. We do need to be leveraging the power of our other plus one plus one counters. I don't know. You get a one one when they kill your scavenging ooze that ate something. You get a one one when they kill your Yorvo and your Stone Coil. Ah, uh, and Maybe the Ozolith needs help. <laughs> okay. I'm not I'm not enthusiastic about the card to you be know, honest. Okay. I'm not enthusiastic about it either. However, this does look like I could be convinced on this card. Could be convinced. Here's another card I really like I'm lower on this card than a lot of people are. Why don't you read Nighthawk Scavenger for us? Nighthawk Scavenger is one black black for a vampire rogue that is rare. The body is a one plus star three. (laughs) Flying death touch lifelink. Nighthawk scavenger's power is equal to one plus the number of card types among cards in your opponent's graveyard. I just like... What do you think? Like, where do we play this, man? Why are we excited about this card? Thieves Guild Enforcer. See, you you haven't played that deck. You don't understand the power of the Thieves Guild Enforcer. I mean, Thieves Guild Enforcer is one thing, but like a three mana, just a three mana, just whatever. Like, really? Okay, we're going to give it the party treatment. How many cards do you need to get excited? Like, you get one power for free. If your opponent has a land in their graveyard, like a Fable Passage, it's a two power. If they have a creature in their graveyard, it's a three power. You might have put that there with a Heartless Act or a Drown in the Lock. So not, in my opinion, not unreasonable to be a 3-3. Three, three. What more do you need more? Yeah, a 3-3 th- three, three Flying Death Touch lifelink is just kind of whatever for me in standard. So the lands that have spells on them are all spells on the front. So there's going to be a lot more like sorcery instants that you might be milling than you might normally do. But the adventure creatures are still... Here's, here's the thing. It's like, again, one of the things I'm kind of confused about is that I just... I feel like this isn't really playing to the strengths of that deck. I feel like that deck isn't trying to just... Like, this is another example where if they had a commensurate version in green, I'd be stoked because you have this green aggressive deck that's just trying to put down a bunch of stats and just rush your opponent. And the, the theory of that deck is that any one of your creatures isn't going to survive, but if every card in your deck is a Nighthawk Scavenger, then one of them is eventually going to kill your opponent. The problem for me is that the Rogue's deck just doesn't seem like a, like a get em dead with a six-power creature kind of a deck. So that's what I'm hung up on. I just I don't quite know that this fits into that strategy. That strategy to me seems like a tempo strategy, and playing some clunky sorcery speed flyer, even if it does end up having a high power, just seems like not good enough. I think what you're hitting on is that there's a lot of contextual contextual information that we're missing here of what the format is about. Yeah. So if the format has aggression races of any kind and creature types to boot, like if we picture a red deck, it has Annex and ember cleave in it you can get those in the graveyard for types like this can be a three mana baneslayer angel type of effect the other thing is if creatures are a common part of the meta it doesn't matter what power this card's power is it trades with something in combat so if combat matters this card matters however if we're in a format that was often defined by a non-creature card like teferi time raveler uh then this card would just be absolute trash it gets bounced by teferi you get absolutely nothing so what format are we going into my my prediction quite honestly is that the format's mostly defined by uro who gets his money before he tangles with this and omnath who gets its money whether he ever fights or not so the cards i think about most 
say this card is not going to be good, but I'm not fully willing to write it off. It is an evasive rogue, and I really want to steal my opponent's stuff with Zarasan, so I'm I'm still kind of into it. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this thing is trading with a questing beast, that sounds pretty good to me, but it's just not questing beast, right? I, th- I think people look at this and they think this is going to be the black questing beast, and I just doubt that it will be. So, Well, it can race a questing beast. You don't have to trade with it. That's true. It can race. One of the reasons I'm not high on this card is that they, they printed a lightning strike into this set, and you're going to feel real bad losing your scavenger to a lightning strike. So we'll read that card a little bit later, but that's one of the things I'm kind of down on. It's just like most of the removal in the format hits this thing. So Vampire Nighthawk did not really see play in standard the last time it was printed, and I don't think that this one's going to get there. Here's a card that interests me, okay? This is another cleric build around that interests me. I'm not going to stake my reputation on this one, but Tabarax Hope's Demise, two and a black. Legendary creature, demon, cleric, at rare. It's a 2-2 with flying. Tabarax Hope's Demise has lifelink as long as it has five or more plus one plus one counters on it. That's not the part I'm stoked about. The part I'm stoked about is whenever a non-token creature you control dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Tabarax. If that creature was a cleric, you may draw a card. If you do, you lose one life. So this is a pretty substantial payoff for your cleric sacrifice deck. And yeah, I mean, putting draw a card on sacking any of your creatures, is that is a payoff, my friend. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm paying attention. You have my attention with this card. Almost any creature. It's kind of frustrating that it's another non-token creature. Yeah, that's It doesn't true. draw a card itself, which actually sucks, in my opinion. That makes this card kind of actively suck. <laughs> because if the opponent dealt with your murderous rider, not murderous rider, Midnight Reaper, uh, you still got a card. But with this card, you're, paying a, you're playing a 3-mana 2-2 that dies to Bonecrusher Giant, which, in my opinion, is going to be one of the most played cards in the format. And I, that, that is enough right there for me. Because I, my counter argument on the scavenger, I haven't seen the lightning strike yet, but I think Bonecrusher Giant's going to be super popular, and at least scavenger dodged that. Plays around that, to be sure. Yeah, I definitely think that we want we want either a cleric that can sack itself, or we definitely yeah. want cheap ways to sack our clerics. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna need we're really gonna need to see these like cheap sack enablers because if you can have something to do immediately when this comes down to draw a card off of it then you you got your money right there oh yeah and then if it lives you have this growing threat yeah uh that in the air um and then it's very interesting yeah so so basically for me the floor is i want to draw one card off of it and if i do i'm going to consider this a very very good card all right, CGB, read for us this rare equipment because we're going to be obligated to talk about it. Mall of the Skyclaves. Mall of the Skyclaves is two and a white for an artifact equipment at rare. When Mall of the Skyclaves enters the battlefield, target teenagers go shopping in the sky. It's <laughs> kind of amazing. No, I'm sorry. When Mall of the Skyclaves enters the battlefield, attach it to target creature you control. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, has flying, and first strike. Equip is two and a white, white. I mean, I'm about as excited about this as I would be about, like, your average Sky Mall purchase. Dude, (laughs) Sky Mall. Dude, what an idea. What if you're in the sky and you can go to the mall? We can make it a magazine. It won't go bankrupt in in a terrible blaze of glory, I promise. It's, it's good for entertainment purposes, which I think this card will be as well. Okay, so people have been comparing this to Demonic Embrace. Mm-hmm. It's an apt comparison. They kind of do the same thing. I wasn't that high on Demonic Embrace, and I'm not high on Mall of the Skyclaves, though. I need to stress that Flying in First Strike is largely redundant in an aggressive deck where things like this should show up uh, because... Usually evasion means you're not being blocked anyway. First strike is more relevant on defense, which is hard to picture a deck that plays this wanting to be defensive, since you need to play either a one and or two drop creature and then put them all upon it. 
I think that this card's potential is tied up in whether or not indestructibility is good. And what I mean by that is I'm thinking about like seasoned hollow blade, or I'm thinking about the dog, uh, the selfless savior protecting what you attach them all to and putting you in a position where you get two or three hits in with a creature equipped with this before the opponent can kill it. And I think that's not likely. I think there's going to, while while there's that fatal push ish card whose name I'm forgetting the kicker card, that card uh, is a little hosed by indestructibility. There's still a lot of cards that aren't. Um, also, just if the opponent gets a large flyer, that's a problem too. I have a hard time being excited about this card. I think here's the thing. I just think people are going to play this more than they should. Well, yes, of course. It's it's it looks cool, and it's called it's basically Sky Mall. It's a rare equipment, you know. What? How could people resist? I think that people are going to chuck this in their just random like Boros aggressive deck or their random mono white aggro deck, and they're going to win some games on the ladder, and they're going to walk away being like, "Oh my god, that card won me games. It's really good." And I just think every part of it is overcosted to me. I'm just, eh, I'm not feeling. It makes it. Nahiri a lot better. It does make but- Nahiri better. But I don't know if making Nahiri better is your winning strategy. So, okay, this this is an interesting tension, right? Because if you're running this card in Nahiri in your deck, then Nahiri basically has the text on her, which is, what is it? Minus one, make a 3-3 three, three flying first strike. Plus creature. one, plus one. Actually. It's a plus one? Okay. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, so that is really, really, really good. The problem is sometimes when you're playing that deck, you also have to draw the dang thing. And then it's really bad, in my opinion. So you also only get one. Like it can't be attached to two creatures. Like if, if Nahiri could make another 3-3 three, three flying for a strike every turn, that would be yeah. good. That would be something. But it's only attached to one. I'm just, again, I'm not feeling it, man. I'm not feeling it. I also think Brazen Borrower is a card. Brazen Borrower is a card. I mean, kind of messes up that first that that free equip, which is kind of the whole draw. If this didn't have free equip, it would be terrible. Yeah, Brazen Borrower basically is just getting better and better and better, except for the edge case of Ashaya. So I expect that card to just continue to boss around the standard format for as long as it's around. So yeah, it makes equipment in general really terrible. So. I need to be convinced on this card. Someone needs to show me why this card is doing amazing work before I can get behind it. But what about the heating blanket that also does your taxes? Don't you want to order that from (laughs) the Sky Mall? I'm more interested in a coffee cup that reminds me I need to go to work. That's what I'm interested in. (laughs) If they make that that. equipment, sign me up. I'm sure it's in the Sky Mall. All right, here's a card I'm curious to get your opinion on. Spikefield Hazard. Read that one for us. Spikefield Hazard is one in a red instant, uncommon, deals one damage to any target. If the permanent dealt damage this way would die this turn, exile it instead, and the other side is a tapped red source. Gas or ass? Okay, so you want my take on this one? Yeah. Super contextual gas. That's gas. I'm right there with you. I want to give this card a gas too. When I read this card, I got excited. I mean, to be honest, Lotus Cobra is 50% of the reason I'm excited about this card. Yep, that's not a joke. That's real. And here's the thing. When these effects are good, they're really good. Really good, all right? Exile your opponent's Lotus Cobra. It doesn't even get go towards Oro. Gas, 10 out of 10, would play again. If the fail state on this card is that you have to play a tap land, it's not the worst thing, so... Yeah, I'm a fan, man. Sign me up. I think in most scenarios, this will be your 23rd or 24th land before Basic Mountain is in your red deck. But you said you said Uro, but have you thought about this card targeting an Uro? That's true. They don't get it back. Yeah. I mean, let's all acknowledge that that's just terrible in every way, except you know what's the only thing more terrible is having an Uro come back from the graveyard. <laughs> yes. Because yes, it is. the red deck can beat Oro on the front side, but it can never beat Oro on the back side. So you're willing, you'll do it, right? You'll hate it, but you'll do it. The fact that it's cheap means like you can we, we need a critic we need more two drops and they need to be good. But you can go with your red deck. You can go one drop, two drop, two drop, leave one open. The opponent plays their Uro, you get it exiled. You're not gonna see it again. I mean that it's better than nothing. Yeah. Yep. 
And then, you know, it picks off Planeswalkers. It can kill your opponent, which is nice. <laughs> Go um, dome. Just dome it. One damage. Bang. Yeah. And then just edge cases like, okay, like let's say, for example, you're in a red mirror. You're on the offense. You know, you end up ember cleaving your creature and they happen to block with, you know, an annex or something. You could just you could just hit this before it dies, right? And then they don't get Legit. the they don't get the tokens. So there's just like a lot of useful ish, interesting stuff that you could do. Pairs well with first strike. So I'm surprised uh, that you haven't stepped outside of the mono red uh, description into some of your blessed is it decks because this like sometimes those decks just miss a land and nothing happens, and sometimes you get to kill Lotus Cobra and play Stormwing Entity. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm down. I think I think this card is a role player, and it of course depends on what you want to kill, but you you know what you want to kill with this thing. You know when you're siding it in. There are definitely matchups where you probably want to side it out. But I mean, yeah, I'd play it in Is it? I'd play it in Gruel. I think it's low-key amazing in Is it? Because Is it is a deck where you have riddle form and you have prowess creatures, and there are times if you don't draw a spell off the top you legitimately lose the game. Yes. And I do like that as well, because you're right. Those decks don't necessarily need to curve out. They don't necessarily want to, you know, curve one into two into three. So those decks aim to go off on one or two explosive turns. And if those don't happen until turn four or five, that's often fine for that deck. So I'm totally with you. And okay, hot take. But I could even see control decks that run red boarding these. Because again, control decks, don't worry about their land drops. And if there are enough high priority targets. So if you're a, if you're a Jeskai control deck and the format has enough X1 creatures that you're worried about, you might board this in. Because again, you're a control deck. You can just play it as a tap land on turn one if you know, or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think that this card is better than it looks. Uh, I don't think it's an auto-include in most deck lists, but maybe in select deck lists. And I, I'm, I'm stoked. I think this card is a really sweet power level of card. Skill tester, too. I think this card's very skill testing. I think a lot of people will play it when they shouldn't. They will lose. Yeah, I like it. Okay, here's a card which we can probably both agree is just abjectly unplayable. <laughs> um, let's look at Zoff Consumption. Four black, black, sorcery. Okay, now we're definitely in the part of the show where you're reading draft cards we don't have to do this we don't have to i i want to read all the flip cards though because i think people are going to be tempted to play them okay each opponent loses four life and you gain four life and the backside is a tapped black sauce don't play this card all right let's move on (laughs) (laughs) quota met (laughs) man i don't want to have to read roiling vortex so we just skip it do you think people will play it? Like, like you, you say people are tempted to play the flip cards. I think they'll definitely be tempted to play this. And I will read it. Okay. I will handle All it. All right. Lay it on them. Roiling Vortex is one in a red enchantment rare. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, the Vortex deals one damage to them. Whenever a player casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, the Vortex deals five damage to that player. For one red, your opponents can't gain life this turn. So this card is no sulfuric vortex. Like that card was good. I've played with that card. This is an extremely slow, awkward card that you can sometimes prevent people from gaining life for. But having to save mana for that is so bad. So heinous. And the free effect. I, I have been amazed on stream. We have played a game for the two days since this was spoiled. And I just have the chat name things that they think triggers this card that don't. (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, it is amazing how many people in chat think that you're going to get them with their copies of Lucky Clover cards. Yeah. It is kind of insane. Uh, Yeah. So check your rules, I guess, before you sideboard this in against Adventure. You have to be able to cast the spell. The spell has to be cast if... Like Lucky Clover copies that will not trigger it, guys. So, so this also uh, this doesn't trigger Pact of Negation either, does it? 
It does. Does it? It does trigger Pact of Negation because they paid no mana to cast the Pact. So itself. even even though it was a zero cost spell, is it kind of like the zero damage thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That's, Mox Amber would trigger it. That's yeah. good to know. I mean, I wouldn't bring this in against that spell anyway, but good to know. I I don't think the card is any good. I think it's another trap. I think this is one of those cards that's not even good in the formats they thought it might be good in. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but this just looks like an unplayable card to me. Fires of Invention is not here anymore. Yes, Fires of Invention would be a reason to run this card. This is a is definitely a gas answer to that card specifically. Why don't you read for us CGB Carl Helm Chronicler? Carl Helm Chronicler is two and a blue for a merfolk wizard at rare. This 2-2 creature says, Whenever you cast a kicked spell, draw a card, then oh, discard a card. <laughs> oh, crap. When the Chronicler enters the battlefield... Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a card with kicker ability from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. What what does this card make you think? I mean, this card makes me think that if we have enough playable kicker spells, then it's pretty good. I haven't seen enough playable kicker spells, though. That's my problem. I feel like they missed the boat so much on this one by not making it two mana. Yeah. Because you could find Jace. That would be pretty gas. It wouldn't be broken either. It would be good. It would be okay. It to be honest. It I wouldn't agree. be absolutely broken to play a Jace and get a loot off. I think it would only be broken if the kicker spell if the kicker deck was broken anyway. And it doesn't look like it's going to be. I haven't seen any kicker spell yet where I'm like, oh snap, sign me up, you know? So Yeah. Into the Royal is maybe the next other kicker spell and that's just fine it's just and fine I, this is not i mean you'd play it in this deck but it's not like either of these cards are begging you to play the other i do i mean the second ability is strong if this draws you a card it is a very very good card the problem is when it doesn't which is gonna be a lot i think yeah yeah. Like like you would need a lot of kicker. Like top five, what are we talking about? We're talking about I probably wouldn't even touch this without like sixteen kicker cards. Yeah. Yep. I can't think of I can't think of eight I wanna play in the same deck right now. So we got a ways to go. Maybe we'll find them. But that's that's really the question. It's not whether this card's good, it's whether the kicker deck is good. Let's talk about Soul Shatter. So two and a black instant at rare. Each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker with the highest converted mana cost among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Are we into this card? Why wouldn't you be? Sideboard? I think sideboard minimum. Mm-hmm. I think this is I think this card is actually important. I okay. I do too. I think that this card has a lot of relevant cases. I think that there are gonna be times when you're going to really wish this could kill your opponent's RO, but they actually just get to sacrifice something higher up the chain. So it's it's going to be situational. It's going to be terrible against red aggro decks and stuff. But I love this card against Planeswalkers. This seems like a nightmare against Planeswalkers. Let's say you're playing a green aggro deck and your opponent's trying to board in Gargaroths against you or something. Heck yes, I would bring in one or two copies of Soul Shatter in that situation. So yeah. I, I think this card has plenty of playable scenarios, and I'm happy to see it. Seems like a balanced power level of card to me. If you'll indulge me, I want to take a minute to talk about how people often misevaluate removal spells. Because I've seen so many people, when I said that this card was good and would see play, say that Murderous Rider is strictly better. And what I want to talk about is that the main thing about whether or not uh, like a niche removal spell like this sees play is how it interacts with other removal spells and threats in the format. So the reason I, I am confident that Soul Shatter will be played is because of Blood Chief's Thirst. Blood Chief's Thirst is the Fatal Push-ish reprint with Kicker, right? And that card says destroy target creature or Planeswalker with converted mana cost two or less. When... A, when we are confident that card will see a lot of play, the format tends to warp around the removal that you expect to see played. This card destroys things, and that sounds good and universal, but there are ways to keep from being destroyed. Indestructibility. Hexproof. 
things of this nature. What gets around those when people start to play cards that can't that your Blood Chief's Thirst will not interact with? This Soul Shatter does. It makes them sacrifice it. It kills the Dream Trawler. It kills the Garrick's Harbinger. It kills the seasonal how the seasoned hollow blade carrying a maul from the sky. All right. Like, <laughs> like that is why I'm hyped about this card. It's never truly dead because it can hit planeswalkers or creatures. It's instant speed, whereas Blood Chief's Thirst is not, so it can help you take out haste threats, and it hits the things that Blood Chief's Thirst doesn't cover. Yeah. So I think the what you need to look out for with this card is in the situations when your opponent's going to be able to sack something else when you'd really rather they sacked the thing that you care about, when you actually want it to be targeted and your opponent has other options, this card could end up biting you. So I think it's a, it would be a strange format indeed in which people were main decking this, I think. Maybe one copy. But I expect this to be a definite role player out of the sideboard. That's where I'm looking for this. Agreed. Awesome. All right. Are we interested in Tangled Florahedron? One and a green creature elemental uncommon. Tap to add a green mana. And it's a 1-1. And the backside is a tapped green land. Is this the mana dock we were <laughs> we were missing? I hate this card and I'm not sure why, but I have an, a serious blind spot where I just refuse to evaluate it, evaluate it and call it trash without thinking. <laughs> So, you know what's funny is I initially looked at this card and was like, please don't make me play this card. Please please don't make me have to play this card. I I share your distrust of 1-1 uh, one, one mana docks that cost 2 mana. So, that's the awful side of this card. This card might actually be kind of gas. <laughs> okay. It might. I hope not. I don't know why I'm so... I don't know what it is, man. But go. I, I, if it tapped for mana of any color, I think yeah, that would do be something bad for me. But, but do, do you have a case for wh- where and why you would play this card? That's what I'm struggling with. Okay, you want to ramp, so this helps you ramp. Tap lands are not the worst thing to do in a deck when you want to ramp either. So I'm kind of feeling either side of this card. The problem is it's just a pretty bad creature ramp spell and it's also a pretty bad land so the fact that it doesn't do either side particularly well it's not a good top deck the more i think about it the less into it i am this might just be a limited only card i might actually not even run this in limited this card (laughs) this card might moving on moving on get it away (laughs) leave it i think i talked myself out of it oh man how about read us Amiria's Call? I'm curious to get your take on this one. Likewise, this is one of the, I think, big kahunas of people either think this card is insane, broken, or unimpressive. So uh, one of the hot, one of the, definitely the hot cards of the set. Amiria's Call is for white, white, white sorcery, a mere seven mana. It's a mythic. It reads, create two 4-4 four, four white angel warrior creature tokens with flying. Non-angel creatures you control gain indestructible until your next turn. And the ca- the other side, the other side is the Emeria Shattered Skyclave. This is a land that taps for a white, but it enters the battlefield tapped unless you pay three life. You can pay three life to have an untapped white source. Snap. So. Does that change everything? Okay, here's the interesting thing about this card. This card seems templated to be a top end in some kind of white aggressive deck. But I would never play this card in a white aggressive deck. So the only place I can imagine this being good is in like some kind of maybe white ramp strategy as a finisher or in some control deck as a finisher and it's not a particularly amazing finisher so color me a skeptic on this one i i mean i haven't thought through all of the scenarios but my initial read on it is i'm not feeling it okay so i always come off when i talk about this card as as if i'm completely dismissing it or saying it's not good and i believe it is good and that while I agree that a white aggressive deck should ne- probably never run this, and I do mean probably never, 
I think that a mid-range deck that plays white cards could benefit from this a lot because the biggest problem that Abzan like had when I tried to build Abzan decks since that was a triome and a supported color combination since Ikoria was that it just it was too fair and eventually you draw a bunch of lands that don't do anything and your opponent plays hydroid crisis and you do nothing eventually you miss a beat on a turn and it and it's over and this at least turns some of your lands into very powerful spells it's a freaking weird spell though you create two four four angel warrior tokens with flying so those are two very powerful threats those can probably help win the game they're probably not you can't really ignore them, but the opponent can answer them by either going bigger, which at this stage of the game sounds pretty likely, or uh, finding the answers to kill them. Then there's this weird text about non-angel creatures you control gain indestructible. What the heck is that? Yeah. Like, it, it lets you be aggressive, I guess, if you want to smash into your opponent's board, if you've both been in a standoff. But the fact that your angel warrior tokens... Don't have haste. Are not indestructible, and they don't have haste, yeah. and they don't have vigilance. So it's like, if you give all your creatures indestructible for a turn cycle, except for the angels, the opponent can still kill Wrath or blow up the angels. I I just don't, I don't get what that was about. If these were indestructible for a turn cycle, I'd feel better, because you're probably going to get... Um, either a stabilizing turn where the opponent can't attack you well or a good attack out of these or both like that would be pretty good so here's what i want this card to be i want this card to be uh two white 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 i want it to make one angel token and i want the rest of it to be the same so if we're talking about that card then that's a a great top end in a white aggressive deck and a card I would run in my white aggressive decks and feel excited about. But yeah, hopefully I I can say this without undermining you too badly, but we are now in the point of the podcast where Arjuna makes up cards to talk about. Well, (laughs) (laughs) it's a design, which I get what they were going for, but I just feel like this doesn't fit in the deck that they seem to want it to fit into. So that's why I'm confused. It's powerful, right? It's a powerful card. It's got a lot of good text on it. But where do we actually want it? That's my problem. I could see this being like a one or a two of in some kind of white-based control deck in which you're worried about... So this will happen, right? Where you get to the point in the game, turn seven or eight, and you've done a lot of wrathing and a lot of controlling the board. And the thing that you're most terrified about is your opponent top-decking a questing beast. So in matchups like that, Amiria's call is going to be pretty gas. So I kind of like it there. But other than that, I'm kind of not that excited about it. But uh, I think the argument for why I would say this is a one of or a two of, not a four of, also is also stressed by that same logic, where if you are getting beaten down and this is your stabilizing play at seven, you sure don't want to pay three life for this land earlier in the game to stay alive. No, absolutely like, not. That is a serious cost. Yeah. Serious cost. Yeah, so it's definitely one of your tap lands that you play on the way to your first chat at the sky. That's kind of how I'm, oh, yeah. I'm seeing this card. Yeah, I look at it as my maybe 27th and 28th land in white mid-range two control decks. But I do think that this card has a place in any deck that runs a lot of white mana and wants to play seven turns or more of Magic the Gathering. So it's a good card. No, I it's agree. It's just a weird card. And the good news is that probably every color will get one of these, and white is probably the worst one. So. <laughs> yeah, so we have something to look forward to. In the kind of deck that wants to play a bunch of Birth of Miletuses and Shats of the Skies and stuff, I do think Amiria's Call could be a role player, and I think it could be a relatively get-out-of-jail-free card for the times when you do actually cast the front side. And while the downside might lose you some games, you have to evaluate whether that life loss is losing you more games than the than the casting the front side occasionally is winning you games. So, Dude, I got it. Okay, lay it on us. I got it. Finally, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this ever since Archangel Avacyn rotated. <laughs> I'm going to cast Amiria's Call and give my Dream Trawler indestructible and then cast Shatter the Sky. Oh, snap. We really did it. 11 mana later. 
<laughs> 11 mana laser. CGB, read for us this last card that was spoiled on this particular date. Lol Mage's Domination. Lol Mage's Domination is X blue blue blue. Triple blue. Sorcery, uncommon. This spell costs three less to cast if it targets a creature whose controller has eight or more cards in their graveyard. Gain control of target creature with converted mana cost X. Are we excited about this in our rogues deck? No. Okay. It's trip triple blue is too hard to cast. Is this just like, like a draft uncommon? I I'm going to say it's exciting in a in an archetype which no one should ever play or take <laughs> seriously. But mill decks finally mono blue mill and is it mill potentially can finally like play a card like this that keeps them alive much better than Brazen Borrower and other bounce effects ever could. Win con. Yeah, I could see it. Maybe out of the, you know, this would be kind of sick out of the board in a Simic adventure deck. It's just like a potentially cheap, steal your thing mid-game play to nab with Fair Wishes. Sure. I could see it. Sure. I could see it. I, I'll give it that. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Nab your opponent's Oro, because that's all they'll be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, so that's going to wrap up the cards that we have read so far. This gets us caught up basically through September 2nd, and we're going to tackle the rest of the cards that were spoiled on next week's Episode. Yes, I made that word up. So, <laughs> Episode. So, thank you all for listening. It's been a pleasure reading these for you, and we look forward to finishing off the set in our typical fashion, the way we like to do next week uh cgb initial thoughts are you excited about this set yeah but also fearful if you didn't like ramping before and if omnath scares you i think you're gonna be in for a, a rough couple days because that just looks like like omnath and uro quite honestly looks so much by far like the best thing to do it really does in my opinion it certainly looks like the top end power level kind of ceiling in the format so far unless we see some other game changes spoiled i mean to be honest i like doing nonsense like that four and five color nonsense is some of my favorite stuff to do in magic so if that's actually playable in standard i'm just going to be doing the heel click heel click all the way to the bank that's how i feel about that i'm kind of annoyed because it looks like they're still kind of giving us what they've been giving us before and I still feel like they haven't really shored up like the aggro and the control and the, the stuff that we were already missing. So I feel a little bit TO'd about that. Let's hope that they reveal some more playable counter spells, more playable aggro, etc., etc. Because I, I feel like we're still missing our potatoes, man. I still need those potatoes. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. But, you know, sweet cards, sweet set, cool mechanics, interesting ideas definitely going to change the way we play and think about magic and what could you really ask for more out of a set than that so catch us next week we'll do the rest of the set thank you so much and catch you then cgb later